Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Years ago, one of my kids came home from school and um, they told my wife um, that one of the other kids at school that day had used the F word. And we were like, ooh, um, not sure how to handle this. They were pretty young. And so um, my wife, uh, who is incredibly great at parenting, um, she said, well, you know what? I'm just not going to assume that the F word that you're talking about is the F word that I'm thinking. So she said, listen, I'm going to let you say this word that this kid said at school, and you won't get into trouble for it, okay? And, and that way she could make sure that what he was thinking the child said, the other kid said, was in fact a bad word that shouldn't be used. And so finally our child told my wife, this other kid said, fart. And immediately my wife said, absolutely, that's a horrible word. We never use the F word like that ever. This morning, I want to talk about a word that I don't like using in church, okay? And it starts with the letter D. It's what I call the D word, okay? And the D word um, is a word that I don't like to use in church. And, and quite frankly, if, if you're here for the first time um, at Creekside, or if you're just here at church for the first time, maybe in a long time or the first time ever, first of all, we're pumped that you chose to be here today. And in a lot of ways, we've designed everything that you've experienced this morning with you in mind, um, if you're brand new to the whole church experience. Um, this is a word that I don't like using in church, the D word. Um, it's actually a word I don't like using outside of church. And as soon as I put the word up on the screen, you're all going to say, yeah, that's, that's a word that we would just prefer not to talk about, honestly. Um, but occasionally we have to talk about things that we, we don't want to talk about. And the word that we're talking about today is the D word, and the word is discipline. And everybody groans when I use the word discipline because we all hate talking about it. We all hate talking about this idea of disciplining ourselves uh, to do something. All the kids in the room, all the students, high schoolers, middle schoolers in the room, you all hate this word as well because maybe it reminds you of time out or maybe it reminds you of not being able to have your phone or maybe it reminds you of something else. But discipline, simply put, is this. It's, it's doing what you don't want to do now so that you can actually do what you want to do later. That's kind of what discipline is. When you think about disciplining yourself with your money, you do some things that you don't want to do now, like not buy that, that 65-inch television, because that will set you up later on to do some things that you would like to do, like not have to work every single day until you die. So you do some things now that you don't want to do, so that you can do some things later that you do want to do. Like this morning, I had some donuts offered to me. And so I had to choose to do something I don't want to do because I wanted to have three donuts, but I disciplined myself just to one, all right? How's that for discipline? I'm winning when it comes to donuts because I'm doing something I don't want to do now so that maybe 20 years from now, I can actually be alive to play with my grandchildren, okay? So I can do some things that I want to do later. That's the idea of discipline. And today, we're going to be talking about discipline, and, and I know whether you're a church person or not a church person, it's not a fun thing to talk about in church. And quite frankly, 
I don't enjoy talking about it. So you can kind of empathize with me that I'm the one that had to actually bring up the topic today and talk about it in church. But the reality is, this morning, we're going to touch on something that if you're a follower of Jesus or even not a follower of Jesus, if you look at Jesus' life, he talked about this quite a bit. In fact, other than one other topic, the kingdom of God, Jesus talked about the topic we're talking about today more than anything else he talked about. Even more than loving people, Jesus talked about this topic that we're talking about today around this idea of disciplines. More specifically, private disciplines. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But if you're here for the first time, or maybe you're here for the first time in a little while, um, you've come into almost the end of a series. Next weekend, we're wrapping up this series called Fearless Faith. And so it's kind of like coming into the end of a movie, or maybe seeing the sequel like Rambo Part 17, um, because you've come in towards the end of the series of movies. And so if you're in that in that movie, and you haven't seen all the other movies, you may be elbowing your neighbor and saying like, hey, what happened in the previous movies? I don't quite understand why we're talking about this today. So I'm going to just catch you up really quickly on the first few parts of this series that we've been in over the last three weeks. We've been talking about our mission as a church, which is super simple. If you're new to Creekside, our mission is simply this. We're just people helping people discover Jesus and follow him fearlessly. We're just ordinary people. We're not like smart people helping people. We're not like religious people helping people. We're not we've got it all figured out people helping other people figure it out. We're just normal everyday people who have discovered Jesus. And because we discovered Jesus and the experience that we had with him, we can't keep it to ourselves. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. We're so excited about what God has done in our lives through his son Jesus that we so badly want other people to discover Jesus too. And as we're doing that, we become what we call followers of Jesus, even more specifically, fearless followers. In this series, Fearless Faith, we're talking specifically about five things that God uses to create or to grow in us a fearless faith. And we think that God is the one that uses these things. These are not five things that we do to check boxes to make sure that we're following Jesus correctly. That's not the point of the series. It's not a checklist of things that Jesus' followers must do in order to earn favor with God. Jesus took care of all of that for us. There's nothing we can do. We just celebrated communion a moment ago, and that reminds us that there's literally nothing we can do. It's everything that Jesus did for us that allows us to even follow him. But God has designed us in a certain way and he uses these five critical things, I'm convinced. And as I talk with people that have been following Jesus for a long time, I hear these five things come up in conversation over and over again. In fact, I've not met a Jesus follower who has talked about their journey with Jesus who hasn't mentioned at least one of these five things that God uses to grow our, our faith and not just any faith, a fearless faith. So let me just recap really quickly where we've been. In week one, we looked at the letter F. And we said that God uses this idea of feeding ourselves, practical teaching, where we spend a little bit of time with Jesus each day or perhaps multiple times a week. We spend five minutes here, five minutes there, or maybe even some of you are like feeding yourself even more than that throughout the week. But God uses practical teaching to help us grow a fearless faith. And there's so many tools available to us to be able to enjoy understanding what does it look like to follow Jesus. And as we feed ourselves... We develop this fearless faith. 
in week two, we talked, we briefly mentioned this idea of engaging your places or personal evangelism is the idea behind that, that God uses this idea of us sharing our faith with other people to actually stretch and grow our faith to become fearless. We spent an entire series, three weekends, we talked about this idea in a series recently called Come and See, of how God uses this idea of engaging our places, engaging the people around us to actually stretch us and to grow our faith to become more fearless. And then a couple of weekends ago, we talked about the A, and we said it this way, that A stands for accept accountability, or the fact that God uses providential relationships in our lives to grow our faith. The fact is, as followers of Jesus, we don't do it on our own. It's a team sport. It's not a solo sport. It's a team sport where we we connect with other Jesus followers, and in so doing, God uses these providential relationships to grow our faith. This is one of the areas... Every time I sit down and ask somebody to tell me about their faith journey, this is probably one of the primary areas that I hear people tell me about. They'll talk to me about a specific person or a group of people that God placed in their life that helped to grow their faith along their faith journey. God uses these providential relationships. As a church here at Creekside, we don't want to just hope that that happens. We actually want to cultivate environments where providential relationships can occur so that each of us can grow a fearless faith. We call those environments around here, we call them community groups. And a couple of weeks ago, we had an opportunity at the end of the service for people to join community groups. We've had four new community groups come out of that time. But maybe you weren't here that Sunday. Maybe you wish you could get into a community group, but you missed that Sunday, and so you're wondering, Jason, how do I actually get myself into an environment where providential relationships, community around me, would help to grow my fearless faith? Here's what I want to invite you to do. If that's you this morning, and you'd like to get plugged into a community group, we've got space for you to do that. So after the service out in the Alfresco area, while we're having morning tea, we've got a community group sign-up table. Just make your way over there. We want to make it as easy as possible for everyone here at Creekside, whether you're a church person, not a church person, doesn't matter. We want to help you find community because we're convinced God uses providential relationships to grow our fearless faith. And I'm equally as convinced that if your experience here at Creekside as a follower of Jesus simply consists of just coming on a Sunday morning and sitting in these rows, I think you're missing out on what God wants to do through these providential relationships. So I think this Sunday would be a great Sunday for you to step out of your row and join a circle and become part of a community group here at Creekside. Now last weekend, my good friend, Mark Broadbent, he talked in part three of this series about the letter R. And the letter R represents risking comfort. Last Sunday, Mark specifically talked about this idea of risking your comfort as it relates to your time and your talent. Ultimately, we're talking about this idea that God uses personal ministry when you engage in the lives of other people and help them in their faith journey, God actually uses that to grow your faith as well. It's the craziest thing. It's almost counterintuitive that when you are helping somebody else to grow their faith, God actually uses you helping someone else to grow your faith at the same time. And in fact, I'm convinced that if you don't engage in personal ministry, as Mark said last weekend, you'll actually hit a ceiling in your own faith journey where you won't continue to grow in your faith until you start pouring your faith into somebody else through this idea of personal ministry. 
Now today, we're going to talk about private disciplines, as I mentioned before, and it's kind of part B of this concept of risking comfort. And we're going to talk today not just about risking comfort through your time and talent, but specifically, we're going to talk about risking comfort with your treasure. I didn't want to say the M word in church, okay, so I came up with a different word, the T word, treasure. Everyone's like, oh yeah, we we can talk about treasure, but don't you dare, Jason, talk about the M word in church, okay? In fact, there are some people here this morning, I'm convinced of it, that maybe your hurdle in even coming to church today or maybe in the past You've had a hurdle with coming to church because you attended a church where they talked maybe too often about the M word. And you're like, hey, it seems like the church is only out to get my M word. Because <laughs> it's almost like the F word. You can't say it in church. Not fart, the other one. The M word. And you struggled with church and maybe that's your story. And here's what I want you to know. I've struggled with the same thing. And I'm on staff at a church and have been for many years. And I struggle with the same concept of churches talking about the M word far too often. Don't miss this. Church person, not a church person. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Out of the 39 stories that Jesus told in his lifetime, they're called parables. They were a story that everybody could understand and recognize and relate to that had a higher heavenly spiritual meaning. Out of the 39 stories that Jesus told, 11 of the stories were about the M word. See, Jesus knew that there was a connection between the M word, our treasure, and our faith. He knew there was a direct correlation between our treasure and our trusting in him. And as Jesus unfolds for us today, we're gonna take a look at a very famous sermon that Jesus told, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, cleverly titled. Whoever was writing the titles was like, well, Jesus was up on a mountain, so let's call it Sermon on the Mount. And so, clever title for Jesus' most famous sermon. And in this sermon, Jesus begins by talking about private disciplines. One of the earliest followers of Jesus in the first century, a guy named Matthew, he records for us exactly what Jesus said when they were on the mountainside as it relates to this idea of private disciplines. Listen to what Matthew writes. He says this, Jesus speaking, be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. You could almost change the the wording there and say that Jesus was saying, Be careful not to have your private disciplines be done in front of other people, but keep them private. Be careful not to have your acts of righteousness be done in front of other people so that you can be seen. And then Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, if you do that, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Don't miss this. Don't miss the connection that Jesus is making. Jesus is making a connection between our private disciplines and a reward from our Heavenly Father. I'm not sure what that reward looks like yet, 
But Jesus is making an observation. Jesus is making a connection between our private disciplines, the things that we do privately, and the fact that there will be a reward. He says, don't do it publicly because you'll miss out on the reward that your heavenly father wants to give you. And then Jesus gets very specific and he brings up the M word. He says this, he says, when you're giving, so when you give to the needy, he was talking to a primarily Jewish audience, the people that were on the side of the mountain that day, primarily Jewish people. And they would be used to going to the temple. And on their way to the temple, there would be beggars, there would be people sitting outside the temple and they would be asking for money. People that were paralyzed, people that were homeless, people that didn't have jobs. And these people would sit outside the temple and they would ask for money. So everyone listening to Jesus that day was like, absolutely, I've, I've been to the temple. And on my way to the temple, the needy are there and they're asking for money. Jesus is actually bringing up what I am convinced of is a type of generosity. I like to call this type of generosity that Jesus is bringing up generosity 1.0. This is reactive giving. My wife and I were actually in this room about two or three weeks ago, seated in that back corner over there, right where everybody in that part of the crowd is today. We were seated at a table. And up on the stage, people got up and shared amazing stories of what our chaplains are doing in this community. And then there was a time, an opportunity, that was given for everyone in the room to respond to react to the needs of our community and to financially contribute to the needy in our community. So my wife and I, we took a moment, we talked about it, and we participated that night in what I call generosity 1.0. We were reactive in our generosity, and I bet every single person in this room could tell a similar story where somebody has presented a need to them and they've said, We've, we'd like to get involved in that. We'd like to respond to that need and we'd like to react by being generous. Every single one of you, if I gave you a microphone, you could come up to here this morning and you could talk about participating in generosity 1.0. That's what Jesus is talking about. So he gives instructions. When you're participating in generosity 1.0, reactive giving or reactive generosity, he says, here's what you need to do. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Now, my brain works really weird. And I just got to tell you, when I read this, all I can think of is, could you imagine coming to church and there's people lining up as we give our offering and do-do-do-do, Mr. Jason Perkins gave $100 today, everybody. Give him a big round of applause. Could you imagine that? But that's actually what Jesus is talking about. They would have trumpets announcing their gifts. Look at this wealthy man who gave $1,000. He should get a big round of applause. Another man over here gave $10,000. Many trumpets would sound when he gave his gift. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who come and give to the needy with trumpets and announcement so that everybody can know. And Jesus actually says, here's what happens when they do that. They've received their reward. He's tying back to this idea that when we do something privately, we have a reward that our Heavenly Father is going to give us. But when you do that publicly, 
you've received your entire reward. In this life, when you publicly give, you've actually received all the reward you're going to receive, Jesus says. Then Jesus gives the alternative. He says this, but when you give to the needy, generosity 1.0, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Listen to the next statement Jesus makes. Don't miss this. Here's what happens when you give to the needy privately. He says, then your heavenly father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Wow. So when I do something privately, when I'm generous privately, Jesus says that my heavenly father is actually going to reward me. But Jesus sets up a difference between the rewards in this passage. The first reward, when you do it publicly with trumpets and announcement, you receive a reward from everybody that's seeing you give and you receive it in this life. Jesus sets up the idea here, I'm convinced, that when you give privately, when you are generous in secret, he will reward you. Your heavenly father will reward you. And it's possible it may not happen in this life. You may be saying, Jason, are you, are you saying that I should give so that I get a reward? I'm not saying that. Jesus is the one that brought up this idea. I didn't bring up this idea. And later on in the passage, as we'll see in a moment, Jesus ties together the concept between what we do in this life privately and how that relates to what happens later on, not in this life, but in our eternal life. Jesus is setting up a statement here. He's setting up a concept that when you are privately generous in this life, there is a reward that will come to you in the next life. That's not something I came up with. That's what Jesus said. And you might be saying, Jason, well, I don't want to be generous just to get a reward. And I'm with you on that. But if there's a reward to be had, I'll take the reward as well. And Jesus is saying, when you give privately, your heavenly father will see it in private and he'll reward you. Jesus goes into a number of other private disciplines in the Sermon on the Mount that he gives. He goes into prayer, how we can do that privately. He talks about fasting, maybe disciplining yourself, a private discipline away from eating or away from sleep or some other thing so that you can grow your faith. But then Jesus circles back around to this idea of generosity. Before he wraps up this talk about private disciplines, Jesus actually circles back around and he says this later on in the speech. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is talking about two different types of reward now, two different types of storing. And Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures just in this world. My wife and I, when we were first married, we lived in a mud brick home, our first year of marriage. And the geniuses that built the mud brick home built it on a white ant nest. And because of that, the walls and the foundation of our homes were the perfect environment for the white ants to tunnel through the walls straight up to the beams that held up the roof. 
And we were renovating that little mud brick house that we were living in. And I remember climbing up a ladder one day because Kristen wanted to change the color of these wooden beams that held up the roof structure. And as I put my hand up against one of the wooden beams to start painting it a different color, my hand actually went through the beam because the white ants had eaten out every single bit of the roof structure of this home. We proceeded to move out of that home very quickly and found another place to live. But the point is this, when we store up treasure in this life, moths and vermin and white ants can come in and eat it and steal it and destroy the treasure in this life, Jesus is saying. Jesus actually says there's another alternative. He says rather than store up treasures on earth, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus actually introduces in this statement, I'm convinced, a second type of generosity. Generosity 1.0 talks about the idea of reactive giving. When you give to the needy, when somebody presents to you a need and you respond to the need by being generous, that's generosity 1.0. In this verse, Jesus is describing a different type of generosity. I like to call it generosity 2.0. It's proactive giving. It's saying before I even hear about a need, I'm going to determine ahead of time that I want to store up treasures in heaven. Nobody has to tell me about a need. Nobody has to put up a picture of a child that doesn't have enough food to eat. Nobody has to tell me a heartwarming story and tug on my heartstrings to try and get me to respond to being generous. Jesus says, if you're a fearless follower, you actually are a proactive generous person. Before the need's even presented, you've decided you're going to store up treasures in heaven because you know that's where the treasure will be safe. And then Jesus, he wraps up his whole talk about generosity with this one statement. And if you don't get anything else from today, church person, not a church person, been going to church your whole life or brand new to church, don't miss what Jesus says in this final statement. This is the summary statement that I think summarizes everything Jesus wants to say about generosity. Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you want your heart to go in a certain direction, I want to give you a little test to do. If you want your heart to go in a certain direction, I dare you to take your money and go put it over where you want your heart to be. Jesus doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. He says where your treasure is, your heart is going to follow. Whether you're a church person, not a church person, follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, we would all say, well, that makes sense, Jason. If I love my children, I invest financially in my children. And so when I begin to invest money in a certain direction, I begin to think about what's happening with that money. I begin to think about what that investment is doing. Because when I put my treasure somewhere, Jesus says, your heart will actually follow where you put your treasure. Jesus is inviting us as followers of him to begin 